Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 377. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of FinTech Nexus. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our comprehensive news service, FinTech Nexus News not only covers the biggest fintech news stories, our daily newsletter delivers the 10 most important fintech stories into your inbox every morning. And we have special editions for Latin America as well as UK and Europe. Stay on top of fintech news by subscribing at news.fintechnexus.com slash subscribe. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Al Peru. He is the CEO of the US business at Zilch. Now, Zilch is a UK company. They've just recently expanded into the US. Al runs that operation, as I said. They are in the buy now, pay later space, and they've done very, very well in the UK. Al gives us some of the stats there that uh, they've become a real force to be reckoned with in that market. And Al shares why he thinks that's going to happen here in the US as well. So we talk about all sorts of things in this episode. We talk about Al's history with many in the fintech space, know him from his funding circle days, which is obviously another UK business expanding into the US. We talk about buy now, pay later in general, why consumers like it. You know, we talk about obviously the Apple movement into the space. And we talk about the Klarna deal, which just recently announced. We talk about what the future holds when it comes to buy now, pay later and much more. It was a fascinating episode. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Al. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for having me. Okay, great to see you. And uh, let's get started by giving the listeners a little bit of background. I mean, we met, you know, 10 years ago now at the first Lended event in New York City. But, you know, why don't you give the listeners sort of a bit of your career story to date before Zilch? It's almost amazing to believe it's been a decade. Right. And all that's happened. I started my career in uh, investment banking and finance. I spent a decade there before joining the fintech industry fairly early in its infancy, along with you, uh, as part of the early team at Endurance Lending Network, which was, if you recall, one of the earlier online lenders yep. focused on SME. And, and that's really where we first met. And I think finally, of all the people that are still in the industry from that first lending, mm-hmm. we were acquired early on by Funny Circle, which was only UK-based at the time, and then became their footprint in the US. So I was the firm's first capital markets leader and help scale and drive Funding Circle's capital markets program and bank partnerships globally. That took me to San Francisco after some time in New York. I had a front row seat to fintech scaling as a standalone industry over that period. Left Funding Circle after four and a half years to found and run Neptune Financial, which went by Nepfin, where we focus on building technology and providing loans to serve larger SMEs. And I'm very proud of what we built there. But ultimately, during COVID, with the government and private lenders really crowding the market with capital, the opportunity wasn't as large for this segment as when we first started the business. And I had a strong view that there would be a larger opportunity in consumer credit coming out of COVID. So connected with Zilch and joined them as CEO of their US business, actually celebrating, believe it or not, our one-year anniversary last week. After Zilch acquired Nepfin, we built the foundation for Zilch's US business. So been a decade in New York, a decade in San Francisco. And I could not be more excited to actually relocate to Miami to scale Zilch USA here. So it's, it's been an amazing ride so far, uh, especially just being here in Miami, what I think is going to end up being a pretty exciting fintech hub 
And you really see that enthusiasm and support from the local government as well. Miami is hot right now. A lot of people moving from the Bay Area. You're not alone, as I'm sure you realize. It really is uh, particularly around fintech and crypto. And you continue to see that momentum, uh, even with the current environment. Let's just talk a little bit about the Zilch acquisition. How did that come about? You know, did they find you? Did you find them? What was the story there? You find that the industry is very small. So Zilch did an incredible job scaling in its home market of the UK. And inevitably, that leads to how do we start to scale in, in other markets? And of course, the US markets always should be on someone's plate. Phil, the CEO and founder of Zilch and the UK team, they're smart enough to know you can't lift and shift a product from one country to another. Many people have tried and you've seen a lot of failures around that. So mm-hmm. you need to understand the local market from a customer, from a regulatory perspective, and you need to find a team that, that's been through it. So you know, back to the industry being small, one of Zilch's senior advisors and actually chair of their audit committee is an investor I know from my Wall Street days. So we've always been in touch now for you know two decades at this point. And we would speak particularly the last 10 years about just technological shifts happening across financial services. It's an interesting story now because Zilch was speaking to a few different candidates about launching the US business from scratch. And then Pavel, our audit chair, said, hey, speak with Al. He's been in the industry since its early days, has experience across many of the issues you're going to encounter to successfully scale in the US. So we got connected late in the process, actually. And I had several great conversations with Phil, with the board, and we just shared very similar views on the broader fintech industry, what I think is a massive opportunity to take share from revolving credit and just overall, just the belief in you know good hard work and, and integrity. So then what they saw in us was good, strong base infrastructure. My experience is a key component, but a lot of the infrastructure we already had in place, you know, from a regulatory perspective as well, having our California license really allows us to hit the ground running. And, and it really went from acquisition to live in the US in eight months, which I think is, is pretty record time. It's interesting, at least from my perspective, you've gone through this once before. You had, you know, Funding Circle was a British company, acquired endurance lending. I remember I was involved in that whole process because Samir and Lisa back in like 2012 or 2013, they asked me what I thought of you guys and we had a conversation about it. But anyway, you've went through this process where a British company acquired you before. How did that help with the Zilch acquisition? As I always say, history may not repeat itself, but it can rhyme. Right. Very often. And especially in this case, like what, what are the odds really to have a second time where I'm part of a fast growing fintech headquartered in the UK, acquires my company to establish a foothold in the US? So probably not a week goes by where I find myself saying, hey, we tried this either from a marketing perspective or staffing teams a certain way, types of meeting cadences, and it didn't work. Or we tried certain things and it was very successful. So let's apply it. And a lot of it, it cuts through some of the initial assumptions someone may have scaling a successful product in a different country with, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And what you find is, wait a minute, where is the customer different? Where mm-hmm. are the nuances culturally, regulatory wise? So it really gave us, gave me personally a leg up, but it really is not a week goes by that I don't have something to apply. And then from a capital markets perspective, it, it's nice to see some of the same people and firms still very heavily involved in the space. And we saw a lot of them at FinTech Nexus this year. And it really was interesting to see what I would call a homecoming event in a way at the conference. But it was nice to see individuals either at the same firm or they moved firms, they started new firms or new places. A lot of it was you leverage a lot of the relationships I had already built. We're applying a lot of that here as well. And then probably just, you know, navigating British culture 
and the time difference, it was very easy to just slip right into it. Even the slang terms, a lot easier the second time around. Right. Plus easier from Miami than San Francisco, right? With the time difference. And And that was one thing we had discussed. I said, look, I really want to move. And they said the same thing. It's what I always think about from a productivity perspective. I think we did a, a great job at Funding Circle, but you can't deny the fact that like an eight hour time difference versus a five hour time difference, it does cut into some of that productivity time. It's definitely something that was on my mind. And we made clear, like, how do we make this happen on the East Coast? And was lucky to make sure Miami was was up there and it's really worked well. Right, right. Okay, so let's talk about Zilch. Maybe just start describing the product in the UK and how it's been successful there. And then second part of the question is, are you launching the same product here or how is it different? Zilch overall was founded in 2018. It's a payments company focused on creating innovative products for consumers to manage cash flow responsibly, right? The UK business went from zero to two and a half million customers, which is roughly about 6% of the adult UK population in about two years, which really says something. And they've achieved this growth much faster than the majority of the fintechs out of Europe. While things aren't, often aren't identical, and you know, as I mentioned earlier, you can't lift and shift products like this necessarily directly from one country to another, there's a lot of similarities. So both in the US and the UK, we offer what we believe is the best parts of a debit card and the best parts of credit in one product. So you can use our card wherever MasterCard is accepted. So you shop wherever you want. And we offer a pay-in-one solution where the customer earns cash back. Then we also offer a pay-in-four solution where the consumer pays the balance in installments over six weeks. The success of the UK is something we do believe we can achieve here. It was exciting to partner with Phil, just given his background. It's not really talked about enough, but he actually built and scaled technology and payments companies in his native South Africa that actually spanned the African continent where he played a key role. Can we just maybe dig into the product a little bit? If someone comes along to Zilch today, do you get a debit card and do you control it with the app? I mean, how do you decide whether you pay it up front or you pay it in four? I mean, what's the sure. process? So you link your bank card to what becomes your Zilch virtual credit card. Right. And that virtual card is a static number, which is something to be excited about. I think a lot of other competitors have a one-time use card. And what we want is to really be a top of wallet solution. You want to buy a coffee. You want to buy lunch. It's not about being at that point of sale. We see it as a clear solution to be that daily card that you use. You can select very quickly in the app, do you want to pay in one or do you want a cash flow management solution and pay in four? Either way, you're swiping that same exact card that has that same number on it anytime you use it. You said it's a credit card, a virtual credit card. So it sits in your Apple wallet or your Google yes. Android wallet or whatever. Like what's the credit check like? Who are you targeting? I mean, I would start with actually saying just, I think traditional BNPL focuses on e-commerce right. or our larger target markets is really all of retail. And what we're finding right now is about 45% of our customer base is between 25 to 35 years old. And that leaves a lot of room for people older than that, that are also using our product as well. So what we found is we're actually converting what I would say across a broad range, just because thematically, I think people are moving away from credit cards. As there's more awareness around, there are no interest rates tied to this product. What you'll see is around Klarna, their average customer uses probably 12 times a year. A firm is probably in the single digits. And with Zilch, our customers are using it right now in the UK about 86 times per year. Wow. And in many instances, we're actually finding the app is used more often or open more often than Amazon is open. 
because it's now becoming that top of wallet solution. And we really see a path to mimicking that here in the US. Okay. So then how are you trying to get to top of wallet? Because is it the flexibility between paying it in full versus paying for? And I imagine you get like it's a credit card, right? So you get a monthly statement. Um, How are you getting to top of wallet? Yeah. So it's not a credit card. It's about paying over time. So it's a loan that you pay over six weeks. Okay. But what we found is, again, people are looking for that cash flow management solution where I think we've had success. And I think it's what, you know, where we started, we could have followed everyone else going direct to merchant and trying to be that solution. But what Phil decided and credit to him was really DTC was just a much smarter area to focus given the overall market size. And ultimately from a unit economics perspective, there's a lot more possibilities for us to be more consistent in revenue if you really give somebody a solution they want. So said another way, I think being a button at the checkout just always seemed like a commodity to us. And I think you're now seeing that perspective validated, especially with you know Apple copying our approach, not Klarna's or a firm. You get the top of wallet by offering a better way to pay over time, or for those consumers that really want to pay now, offer them a cashback solution that is competitive with other cards that are out there. I think there's two major problems with the merchant model, which is different from ours, which is just here is a card, a MasterCard, use it wherever you like. One is like you see all that competition now. So these point of sale solutions, you know, they're competing against each other for the same merchant deal. It's crowded. Yeah. And that oversupply, it just inevitably leads to reduced economics as they all kind of undercut each other to win that deal. You're also seeing another problem in order to compete with merchants' expectations and win the mandate, those expectations have evolved than from those early days of a decade ago. So you're seeing these point of sale providers, they're signing SLAs. And they're saying we will approve a certain threshold of customer, regardless of the macro environment we may be entering right. or what that customer formula may be. So that's going to impact their economics no matter what. So we are under no pressure from the retailer to lend. Right, right. Like the cashback rewards, are you going to retailers and doing specific deals for that? Or is it just cashback for everything? It's cashback for everything. Okay. And then you can apply those rewards to subsequent Zilch purchases. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. You did mention Apple and that was announced, I think it was a couple of months ago now, but as you say, they've copied you. They didn't copy Klarna or a firm or whatever. So, I mean, Apple, obviously, I think they're still the largest company on the planet. They're right up there anyway. How does a small company like you guys compete with Apple that have control of hundreds of millions of customers' wallets? Yeah. No, we always talk about what is the precise number of iPhones that are in circulation? (laughs) So you think about that, like, you know, how is this stack up and and how do we become a competitor? But I think just taking it from a few different angles, but I think you have to welcome Apple. It's good additional education and validation it brings to the path that we selected. Over mm-hmm. other. They could have done anything in the world and they did yeah. what we're doing. Our view is one of everyone's talking about Apple being, you know, a category killer or, or another solution. But what I'm surprised no one's spending more time on is, is talking about the magnitude of the problem. You really do have a lot of credit card debt out there. These consumers are saddled with it. They're paying $140 billion plus a year across the US and the UK in, in fees. And it is solutions like ours, it's solutions like Apple's to chip this number down. So I actually think of it as when you think about the magnitude of the actual revolving credit market, it's actually going to take a lot more Apple's and Zilch's to solve this problem, even with both of us. Right. And look, I, I think while I'm always happy to be associated with a great brand like Apple without question, I think it is important to remember 
the hype when the Apple card launched. And that was supposed to be the credit card killer. I don't want to be precise on the numbers. So it'll probably be incorrect, but I know it's been a, a few years now, probably like four years. And you're still sitting on a low single digit, maybe 2% of the population in the US is actually using the Apple card. So this may be a similar path. Yeah. And the reality is that other credit card companies are still doing very, very well. You know, the thing about it that strikes me is that consumers like this product. They want this product. You see polls that people say they like it more than they like credit cards. So it feel like what the early pioneers did in the space, you know, the Afterpays and Affirms and Klanas did is they educated the market. And now you've come in, it seems like, and you've got a, a market that knows what paying for is all about, likes it and wants more of it. So I feel like timing wise, it doesn't seem like you have to do any market education anymore, right? That's a good way to put it. Like we give a lot of credit to what we politely call BNPL 1.0. They did a lot of the heavy lifting. We just innovated a bit more and said, wait, what is the real solution people want? I feel very strongly the consumer wants control. They don't want to have to go to this checkout and a clunky experience. It's, it's here's a card, use it wherever you want. Are you going to launch a physical card? I mean, it's interesting you said you're just starting with virtual. Is that on the roadmap of the people asking for it? We're starting to see some people ask for it. So it's, it's never something we we say no to. I think initially we see a lot of good adoption with the virtual card. In the US market in particular, where so much is done offline, it is something we, we think about a lot. Right, right. Okay. And so what's your business model? Is it primarily like sharing interchange? I mean, you're not, you don't have the merchant, like the merchant-focused BNPLs. How are you making money? Probably the most important question these days, right? right? So <laughs> I think and it's an important distinction because it was a choice we made not to go down the route of being point of sale or partnering with the merchants at scale. I think since Zilch holds the relationship with the customers, retailers come to us and compete for our customers, which is a complete reversal of the relationship that other payment providers frankly, don't have with big brands. It's more akin to almost like a meta or a Google type situation where they come to you because you have the eyeballs. And Zilch earns interchange, right? We also earn commissions from retailers' marketing budgets. Those are the, really the two direct ways we make money. But we really see ourselves building a business with unit economics and staying power of some of these larger brands like Amex and Capital One, which we absolutely admire and hope to emulate. Retailers are paying the cost of credit and the rewards instead of the customers. Right, right. Got it. One of your core competencies, your expertise is in the capital market side. It's what you did at Funding yeah. Circle. Where's the capital coming from for the loans that you're providing to these consumers? So currently we use a combination of our balance sheet and we also have a lending partner in Goldman. I think it is worth noting, and we saw a lot of these people at FinTech Nexus, and I consider them all friends now. Like You've, mm -hmm. you've created a community, Peter. I'm still seeing a lot of demand in the credit markets. I think how I would describe our product is short duration, small balance consumer assets. So, you know, we will look to bring on additional partners as well. Right. And, and given the payback time and it cycles really quickly, you don't need like a multi-billion dollar line to do huge amounts of volume, right? It's big benefits with that. And then you nailed the first one, which is we don't necessarily need as much size. You also, the turnaround quickly, you have a lot of performance history very quickly right. as a result, which is something that I think in this environment, particularly a lot of these investors want to see. How is your performance so far in the US? It's early days. We're very happy with what we're seeing, but it's too small a cohort. Like we literally just started two months ago. Right. So you'll start to see us really ramp up into the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Okay, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about Congress because as you say, <laughs> consumers really like this product. So there's, you know, you've got 
huge numbers of consumers are using buy now, pay later. Yeah. Sometimes they can't make payments and they're getting into trouble. Some people in Congress are saying we got to put protections in place. What do you think Congress should be doing here? Anything? Of course. It is funny though. You see the articles about the missed payments, but not where we created a solution for someone that needed to pay for you know a flight or, or food. or A lot of this feels probably what you've felt in a way, like similar to online lending's early days. Mm-hmm. years ago. So it feels like what's old is new again a bit. In a similar vein, it's important to remember a couple of things. One, there's a lot of protections already in place you know, at the state and federal level, given we offer consumer credit and we partner with a bank, in our case, Cross River, to issue the loans. But that said, like, you know, we were first to get an FCA license in the UK. We were very early to get a California lender's license. Like, I definitely come from, and, and our culture is one of compliance and, and making sure we're never on the wrong side of the law. Cross River has many requirements which we comply with as well. Credit reporting, I think, is going to be an important one. That will be here soon, and, and we welcome it. We signed a global partnership with Experian to lead the way to report on these types of transactions, both in the UK and the US. That's something that we should be doing. And I think overall, it shouldn't be lost that I think this is a positive solution for consumers right. relative to overdraft or payday lending or, frankly, credit card balances that charge egregious interest rates. What I hope is heard or demonstrated is you see what is a greater access to additional financing options. We give cash back when you pay in full. There's no interest to the consumer. And we also put personal spending limits in to protect the financial well-being of the consumer. So I think these are things that we hope to build more awareness on with the regulators, with Congress. We try to spend some time there. There's some affinity groups like the Financial Technology Association that's done a great job of trying to build awareness for all the ways that we are a very good solution for many consumers. Right, right. I want to talk about the Klarna down round, which has where we're recording this on July 12th, which was yesterday that Klarna announced they closed the round, $800 million, went from $45.6 million valuation down to less than seven. And clearly, the public markets reflecting a firm's you know, Afterpay, obviously part of uh, Block now, but so we don't know exactly what they'd be worth if they were still public in their own right. But we have a firm as a comp and they're down you know, dramatically from their highs. What do you think that says about buy now, pay later in general? I'm not sure it's something necessarily in general, although you can't ignore it or the broader risk-off sentiment, frankly, across the broader tech industry. I'm very excited they got the round done. They're a good business. They're very strong metrics, particularly over a decade. We're never rooting against people to fail in that sense. But we also know that there are issues with the point of sale model, which I discussed earlier. And at the same time, I can't comment directly as I'm not in the business, but I do think it does say something to see smart investors provide them with what you have to admit is a meaningful amount of capital. It's $800 million. That's a lot you can do with that given their experience. I don't think it's a direct reflection on the opportunity in DNPL. As you mentioned earlier, consumers really love this product. It really becomes how do we cut through this turbulence at the moment and continue to focus on the real competition, which is the credit card market, and just offering better alternatives for the customer to continue to come to us versus carrying balances that charge them interest. Right, right. And then we should also say that you know you guys are in the news fairly recently about your you added another $50 million to your Series C and you kept your valuation steady. Uh, that's an up round in, <laughs> in, <laughs> in, today's in comparison yeah. in today's world, yes. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that process. How involved were you and what were those conversations like? It's very exciting to see the validation from investors. And 
I think it speaks to a bit of what our model and again, the differentiations of, of what we're focused on, especially in the face of our perceived competition being down like high double digits, right? So I think overall, just to give you a bit of the context, we had been speaking with investors. Many really started to actually ask about our metrics as well. I think in this environment, investors tend to, you know, I'll use the word scrutiny, right? They want to dig a little bit deeper, want to see your metrics uh, in a way perhaps they wouldn't before. What I think they saw from us, as I mentioned earlier, just the utilization is just off the charts. We're transaction margin positive when the customer comes back. And we are seeing that massive use in the UK. So you couple that with, you know, essentially being live in the US on record time and cutting through all the infrastructure you have to put together. It's something where we've been speaking to them almost informally as one does. And they start to see the metrics. They see the difference between DTC versus merchants. And you see the parabolic growth we've seen in the UK and the utilization there versus our competition. I think a lot of those things start to look like tangible success, particularly in this market. Right, right. Yeah, makes sense. One question I forgot to ask earlier, though, you give people a limit, right? I imagine they don't have a $25,000 limit for this thing. What's the range of limits that you're approving? You start out with anywhere from $50 to $1,200. And then what we typically look at is, again, it's is affordability. It really matters to us. Like we want to make sure that like, if you're taking this product on, it's because this is something that you can't afford. Right. Like you're underwriting based on what exactly? So we look at various different items across your financial history. We do do a, a soft pull on your credit. We want to understand income. We want to understand, again, like your spending habits to make sure this is something that fits into your, your budget. Okay. I have a couple more questions before we close. What I'd like to do is before we talk about Zilch, the opportunity for Zilch, I'd love to get your perspective on the buy now, pay later space. And I mean, it's already pretty large. How do you see this playing out over the next decade? Do you feel like it's going to make a meaningful impact on credit card volume? Where is it going to end up You know, in relation to credit cards? Look, it's a great question. It is still early days. Some of the companies have been around some time, but you know, Amex has been around decades. We think about a company in the fintech space being around eight, nine years, and we think it's a long time. But the reality is like the industry, it's been reinvented a bit, right? This is a bit of a, a shift on layaway. It's layaway for the next generation. You start to see what's possible in the near term. I'll kind of break it into two chapters. I think chapter one, inevitably in the current environment, you'll start to see there's some consolidation and then some new players actually enter the market on the shoulders of what was done by the 1.0s. But inevitably, we have found a product, again, it's something that is very consumer-friendly, easy to use. And I think particularly as you start to see more data from these consumers, there is the ability to extend additional credit, extend term. What we've done, I think, is build that better mousetrap around how do you generate your revenue and what are all the ways you can generate revenue that isn't interest and fees on fees on these consumers. So... It's very difficult. I just don't see a world where the credit card companies can really walk back on what they've built over right. decades. I do see an environment, particularly over the next decade, where you're going to see some major winners. You will see some considerable consolidation, I think, over the next 12 to 18 months. But ultimately, the, the idea of paying over time in an interest-free way, where we can generate revenues in other avenues, so the consumers are taking the brunt of the pain, is something that I don't know how that goes away at this point. Right. And you did say something earlier around awareness and understanding. I think there's good penetration. I think there is education there, but there's still whole swaths of the market 
I think we're going to see different segments start to sprout up as well. This can and should be a credit building product. Are there pockets of the population that simply are credit starved or don't have the proper access to credit? And this is really the solution that they should be working on. So last question, what are your plans for Zilch? I mean, obviously you've got one product right now. Is that, do you sort of hinted that maybe there's something else that could happen down the road? But I'd love to get sort of your plans and what you're intending to do here. It's just the beginning, I think, for the company globally. I'm proud of the growth we've seen in the UK and in very early days here. Business has done, as I mentioned, extremely well in the UK. We've penetrated 6% of the adult population. US is, I don't want to misspeak, but probably seven, eight, nine times the size. You know, this is the largest consumer market in the world. So when we were putting the model together, we said we wanted to target four times the pace of the UK. And I'll just kind of say we're ahead of that budget at this point. So I especially think this, you know, high inflationary environment puts Zilch in a great position to capture market share across non-discretionary purchases. This shouldn't just be a solution for discretionary spending. It's how does this become more of your day-to-day? What are the different products or how should we tweak the product to become that solution for not just these demographics I described earlier, but across the entire spectrum? So I think much like the early fintech lenders we're seeing this rhyme again, but I still think there's a lot of awareness out there. There's a lot of different products we could adapt, whether it's term, whether it's amounts, whether it's specific product areas we want to target. But all that points to how do we have millions of customers in the next 24 months? This is the largest market in the world. We were able to penetrate in record time in the UK. And we're following a lot of that playbook while making sure we're tweaking the product for this market. Okay. I will have to leave it there. Good luck. It's always great to chat with you. And, uh, Yeah, all the best for Zilch. All the best to you as always, and I know I will see you soon. Now, to say the buy now, pay later space is hot is still an understatement, despite the valuations that have come down in recent months. As I said, consumers love this product. I actually love the product as a way to kind of manage your cash flow for people who find it hard to discipline themselves with a credit card. And there's a lot of people out there with that mindset where they feel like they get a $20,000 credit limit, so they're just going to go and spend $20,000. With Buy Now, Pay Later, it's smaller amounts and it's more disciplined. People love the forced discipline of the pay-in-for program. You know, it's here to stay. Congress may act at some point, but they're not going to take it away. They may put some consumer protections in place, but Buy Now, Pay Later is here to stay, and I think that's a good thing. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye.